Please turn with me this evening to John chapter 1. title of our sermon this evening, God with us. Continuing on the theme of Christmas and our meditation surrounding it. There's going to be uh, overlap of theme obviously this evening with this morning, but a very different message with a very different point. So I encourage you to stick with me, even if you were here this morning. Joseph was greatly conflicted. The woman to whom he was espoused was pregnant. No one knew who the father of the child was, but they knew it wasn't Joseph. Joseph, however, being a just man, wanted to put her away privately, the scriptures tell us, rather than accusing her before the law of infidelity. He had the right, as the betrothed husband in those days, to accuse her publicly, but he sought to put her away privately. Matthew one twenty tells us that while Joseph thought on these things, trying to decide what he ought to do, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and told him this, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. We read in Matthew 1.23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Quoting from Isaiah 7.14, It is that name Emmanuel which I would like us to consider this evening. God has always desired to communicate with man. He is not a God that simply can be found and known if only we will climb to the highest hill, if only we will give up enough of the life around us, if only we will sacrifice enough time or money or reach some state of divine transcendence. He is not a God that is accessible only to those who can get the farthest or go the highest. He's a God that actually desires to be known and far from hiding himself God has in fact gone out of his way to reveal himself unto us and when we consider that name the name Emmanuel God with us we are considering the truth that God in his divine effort to make himself known to man became a man and dwelt among men this is the nature of what we call the incarnation, God in flesh. This is the theme of His coming. It's expressed in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1-4 through 4 in this way. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us, by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, that's Christ being the express image of God, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels as he hath 
by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Looking forward to the day I get to preach that passage in its entirety. Jesus Christ stepped into this world as the declaration of God, a complete manifestation of all that God is and all that God has ever been. And He did so in order that you and I could know Him. Let me say that again. He did so, Jesus, God became man, Jesus became flesh so that you and I could know Him. The birth, the life, and the death of Jesus Christ was not about starting a new religion or a new religious system, though indeed He did. His incarnation was not about confirming or changing rules, though He did both of those things. His incarnation was not about politics or philosophy, though the politician and the philosopher alike were challenged and today still are challenged by His life and His teachings. Jesus came to declare the Father to the world, then open the way for man to know the Father themselves. He came to declare who God is and then to pave the path to God. This evening I would like us to look at the testimony of John, the evangelist concerning the difference between John the Baptist as the herald of Messiah and the Messiah himself, Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that through this time we will gain a little bit better perspective on just what that little boy in the manger represented on the day of his birth and how that perspective should touch our approach not just to the memorial that we will observe on Friday, but also the other 364 days of the year. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, I'm going to read it. It's not going to be on the screen, but if you're there, I encourage you to read along. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light, that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the, of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We begin in our text tonight by being introduced to the herald of the Messiah as far as um, verse 6 through 14 is concerned. We'll, we'll pick up in verse 6 for our text. The man we know, the herald of Messiah, we know as John the Baptist. 
And as John the Evangelist, the one who wrote this epistle, this gospel, as John the Evangelist, who was a a completely different man from John the Baptist, right? Uh, As he describes the herald of the Messiah, he does so only to emphasize the character of Messiah himself. So we're going to look at the character of Messiah, and I'm actually going to follow a little bit more of a traditional outline this evening, uh, as opposed to just having application at the end and, and expositing. And we're going to look at these three elements of the character of Messiah. And our first element of the character of Messiah is that of light. That of light. And we read this in John 1, 7-9. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light. That all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light. Which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. John, the scripture tells us, John the Baptist was a witness to the light. The theme of light and darkness is a theme which is pervasive in the scriptures and particularly in the gospel of John. It paints a picture that is clear in every generation and to every intellect. There are things that have changed over the generations. There are technology changes that that have come and gone. There there are some analogies that have broken down over time. Uh, For some people, when I I say that God is your father, um, that, that analogy does not ring out as clearly as perhaps it once did in societies where Um, fathers were around a bit more, where fathers were a bit more um, involved, where fathers were were a bit more reflective of of duty and of integrity. And so when I say God is your father, perhaps you don't get the best picture of who God is uh, when you think of your father or when you think of fathers in general. But really, when you consider this concept of light and darkness, uh, certainly we we have a little bit of a different... um, access to light today than than they would have had uh, at the time that Jesus Christ came. But light is still light and darkness is still darkness and it still happens and, and that really hasn't changed, nor will it ever. There could not be two elements that are more different than light and darkness. Darkness is, is by its very definition, the absence of light. The degree to which something is dark is the degree to which light cannot or has not penetrated it. When John came declaring Jesus to be the light, he was declaring Jesus to be the very opposite of darkness, to be that which penetrates darkness, that which is not dark by its very nature, the very source of all that is opposed to darkness. And this fact alone establishes Jesus to be God. For in 1 John 1, 5, The evangelist, the same man, again writes these words. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all, 1 John 1, 5. As we carry the analogy into our text, we understand that darkness is anything in the world that is not sourced in the character of God because God is light. Jesus brought light. He, became, he was the source of light. He is the source of light. God is light and in God is no darkness. So darkness is that which is not within the character of God. God is true. Therefore, that which is false is darkness. God is love. Therefore, that which is not love 
is darkness. God is righteous. Therefore, all that is unrighteous is darkness. God is holy. Therefore, all that which is unholy is darkness. God is just. Therefore, all that which is unjust is darkness. Now, back in John 1, 5, the text told us that the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. That word comprehended in the text in the Greek literally means to understand or to take or to attain unto. The light shined into the world, but the world did not receive, understand, attain unto. The world did not accept that light. Why? Because the world loves darkness. The world loves darkness. In John 3.19, the Bible tells us this. This is the condemnation that light is come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. Make no mistake. Men are not lost in darkness because there is no light. Men are lost in darkness because men love darkness rather than light. And as we look back at our text, we find in verse 9 that this light, He who is the very definition of God, He who is God, He who manifested the character and expectations of God, lighted every man that cometh into the world. The light was not just there to light for a few. The light did not just shine in certain places or in certain hearts. This light shines into every man and woman and child. The light shines into the world. And so it was that eight days after Jesus' birth, as His parents dedicated Him to the Lord, 41 days later when they dedicated Him in the temple, a devout man named Simeon approached. And in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 and 26, we find that this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. It was revealed to him that he would not die until he had first seen the Lord's Christ. And when Jesus came into the temple being held by one of his parents, the scriptures tell us in Luke 2, 29-32 that he said this, Simeon said this, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. We read that this morning as well. This young boy was to be the one who would not simply reflect the light, but literally Shine the light of God's character and expectations into a world filled with the darkness of sin. And the problem is not just that we have the darkness all around us. As we spoke about this morning in detail, if the darkness was just all around us, and if the problem was just that the darkness was around us, well, then we would be fine. We would just have to shut ourselves off from the darkness, and that would solve the problem. It would only be a matter of time before we could overcome the darkness through collective goodness. But the problem is much more severe. The problem is that the darkness of this world is not just around us, but it is within us. That presents a real problem, doesn't it? 
Darkness around us can be overcome, but how does one overcome darkness within himself, the sin nature? And the answer is, well, we don't. In fact, we can't. Isaiah, Isaiah 64, 6, you're perhaps familiar with it. The verse tells us, For we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquity is like the wind have taken us away. So the Messiah, Jesus Christ, God in flesh, God with us, came into this world as the very light of God and shines that light upon every man. The light of God's character, the light of God's expectations. And when darkness meets light, well, it's not always a pretty picture. Perhaps you can recall a time when you needed a little extra sleep during the day or perhaps in the morning, but the sun had risen. And as you enjoyed your slumber, someone, probably a parent, came into the room and introduced you to the light. They flipped a light on or they opened the curtains wide. And when that light hits your eyes, your eyes having been in the darkness, it's not just inconvenient, it's actually a little bit painful, isn't it? Your eyes legitimately burn when the light hits them after having been so accustomed to the darkness. You shield your eyes from the light. The darkness was comfortable. It was familiar. It was safe. The light exposes. It exposes weaknesses. It exposes our flaws. All the secrets that we don't want others to know, the light exposes them. It's not just uh, in a spiritual sense. It's even in a physical sense. We can relate to this one as well. Why is it that people like to have good lighting on the mirrors in their bathrooms? Well, it's because if they're going to, to try to expose their flaws and thus cover their flaws, they need good lighting. Because if you don't have good lighting, then you're not going to see the flaws as clearly. And then you step out into uh, a different light and you don't know that you have the flaws that you have because you had bad light in the bathroom. And so we want good light in the bathroom so that our flaws will be exposed so that we can take care of them. Light exposes flaws. It's the same spiritually. But Jesus didn't just come to expose our darkness problem, did he? He came to solve the darkness problem. He didn't just come to show us we have darkness. He came to remove the darkness. And this brings us to our second point. The character of Messiah is light. The purpose of Messiah is reconciliation. The purpose of Messiah is reconciliation. In John 1, as we continue, verses 10 through 13, the scriptures tell us this. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The legacy of God's light shined into the world is that of rejection. When we are confronted with our own sinfulness, there are uh, not too many responses that we can have. They may manifest themselves in different forms, but they all kind of fall into really one of three basic categories. Well, as, we're, as our darkness is exposed, as our sin is exposed, we can, number one, hide 
from that. Deny it. Explain it away. Pretend it isn't there. Work to overcome it on our own. Uh, Self-righteously seek to overcome it. We can revel in our sin, enjoy it or flaunt it. Or we can humble ourselves, admit our sinfulness and recognize our need for help. The majority in this world find themselves in the first category. They spend their lives running from their own sinfulness. They compare themselves to others and count themselves as not as bad as all the other people around them. So they have a pretty good chance of being considered a good person. And if, if they were on the island of should we, should we or should we not go to heaven, they would vote for them. Right? They, they would think that they're a pretty good person. And, and so they're hoping that, that enough other people might vouch for them that they can be a good person and that God would see it too. They sit on the fence. They believe in the justice of God just enough to scare themselves into doing some good things, but not enough to give up the darkness. That's the majority of the world. Then there's a group, and this group is, is vast, uh, quickly becoming the majority, and the scriptures tell us that as we slouch toward the end of days, this group will become the majority. Perhaps it has already. They revel in their wickedness. They flaunt their wickedness. They wear t-shirts declaring their sin. They hold conferences encouraging others to continue in sin. They embody Romans chapter 1 where it says in verse 32, Who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same but have pleasure in them that do them. They understand that what they are doing brings death and they love it. And they don't just love it but they love everyone else that does it too. That's that second category, and we see that category growing. John 3, 19-21 tells us, this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God it is that last in that last phrase that last concept that we find our third group the majority of the world whether they are denying their sin trying to live a moral life or whether they are flaunting their sin loving their immoral life they comprise a, the vast majority of the world. But there is a third group, without question the smallest of the three, a group described in John 1 verse 12. This group is described as those who received him, the light. And this group, to this group, he gave power, authority, to become a child of God. And the condition? To believe on his name. To accept the light. Jesus said it this way in John 8 verse 12. I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Again in John 12 46. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. So the light shines to bring reconciliation. This morning, we talked thoroughly about the gospel. 
This is where the gospel fits in. That Jesus died on the cross, he was buried, and he rose again the third day. The gospel fits in when the light that is shined into the world shined not just to expose our sin, but to bring us into reconciliation with God. That little boy that we so often consider at this time of year who was uh, wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger is the light, but not just the light. He is the light of life. The character of Messiah is light. The purpose of Messiah is reconciliation. In John 1.14, we see our final point this evening, the nature of Messiah Humanity. Scriptures tell us in verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So God became a man. That little child in the manger was He who would grow, live, and die to save you from your sins. So Galatians 4 verse 5 tells us, but when the fullness, uh, verses 4 and 5, excuse me, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. We talked about that not too long ago in our evening service. Sent to this earth, born live, died, that we might be called the children of God. It almost goes without saying that the object of a birth is not the birth itself, but the life that is lived following the birth. When my wife and I have our children, we don't have the child high-five ourselves and say, okay, job is done, right? No, the job has just begun. The birth is not the object. The birth is the means to the life, which now is our life to raise that life into a life of its own as a child of God you did not achieve the very pinnacle of blessedness the day you were born into the family of God the blessedness grows as you purpose in your hearts and lives to live as a child of God being born again is only the beginning of what Jesus Christ intended of those who did receive Him. To live the light that is now in you by grace through faith is Christ's intent. The legacy of that little boy in a manger is not just that He came to save you from the penalty of your sinful rebellion against God. Much rather, Jesus Christ tells us in John 10, verse 10, I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. As we consider the nature of Christ, human, the purpose of Christ to reconcile us, the character of Christ, light, that we are still here for a reason. The young child in the manger should not only serve as a reminder to us of our new birth, but also as a reminder to us of our new life. This morning we considered 
that Jesus was born to die, that He was born so that He would go to the cross, so that He would reconcile us unto God. We talked about the reality of God being manifest in the flesh, but not just manifest in the flesh. The mystery of godliness, that as He was manifest in the flesh and justified in the Spirit and seen of angels and preached unto the Gentiles and believed on in the world and received up into glory. That the mystery of godliness was a plan from eternity past in order to bring us unto God. But between the time that we are born to a new life in Christ and the time that we are received up into glory as our Savior Jesus Christ was, there is something left to do. There is a life to be lived. And it's not just a life that we slouch through. It's not just a life that we get along with. It is a life that is intended to be abundant. That our joy is intended to be full. The child in a manger ought to remind us of the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Because the darkness that was in you, the sin nature that you could not overcome, that there was no way you could overcome, was removed when you accepted Christ. I know that the majority in this room tonight have accepted the light of life and have been saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. I am confident... To that to whatever degree you choose to enjoy the festivities of Christmas week, some people more, some people less, in Christian circles, you take care to remember that that baby in the manger grew up to become the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. That's important, that God was manifest in flesh, that He was born to die. We covered it this morning. It's very important that He is the gift from God. And as we give gifts this week, those gifts are intended to be a reflection of the ultimate gift that we have that was given to us by God's salvation through Jesus Christ alone. But as we finish this evening, I'd like to take you back to what I said at the beginning of our time together. At the birth, life, and death of Jesus Christ was not about starting a new religious system, though he did. His incarnation was not about confirming or changing rules, though he did both. His incarnation was not about politics or philosophy, though the politician and the philosopher alike are challenged by his words. Jesus came to declare his Father to the world, then to open a way for men to know the Father themselves. Jesus didn't just come to introduce you to the Father. He didn't just come to shine the light and say, by the way, you can never get there. Jesus came to give you a thriving, daily, personal relationship with the Father. Jesus didn't come so that you could be a good person. He came so that you could be made the righteousness of God in Him. He came to transform every aspect of your life and to conform you to His image so that you might reflect the light of the gospel through your life into the lives of all those with whom you would interact. 
He came to make you a satellite like the moon. Not to shine your own light, but to reflect the light of life upon others. So the question as we close this evening is this. Are you living that abundant life? Are you living the life more abundantly? Are you living the relationship that Jesus Christ came to offer? Are you living the vibrant personal walk with the Lord? Was your salvation, do you consider your salvation simply that time where you believed? Or has your identity in Christ become your identity? Were you given the freedom from the darkness within you simply so that you could go back and revel in that darkness that no longer has a hold over you? Or are you living in the light that has been secured by your new birth in Christ? Is Christianity just a game to be played when people are looking? Just a coat to be put on on Sundays and Tuesday nights? Do you have your own corner of darkness that you prefer to live in and revel in only to step back into the light when it seems necessary or convenient? Are you living with one foot in the darkness of the world and another in the light of life? Have you accepted the light but then immediately thrown a blanket over that light so that you can pursue the pleasures of darkness for a season? Or is every facet of your life devoted to the light that is Christ. We know what Christ taught. Did he mean it? Did he mean what he said? Does Jesus mean it when he said in John 15 verses 7 to 10, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so I have loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Did God mean it when he teaches us in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16? Love not the world, neither the things which are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. In a society that is blatantly anti-Christ, are you openly pro-Christ? Pro-light. Living the light. And when you see that little child in the manger throughout this week leading up to Christmas Day, would you use that as a reminder that that baby was not just in the manger to give you life? Much rather... He was in that manger so that you might have abundant life through him.